Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about, way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Welcome to Way Off the Record. Today I'm thrilled to have uh, a guest that I've been wanting to talk to for years, literally decades. Uh, Miss Dirty Martini is a legend in the New York scene, uh, nightlife scene. She's an internationally renowned figure in the neo-burlesque movement, and I'm thrilled to have her in our studio. Dirty Martini, how are you? Hi! I'm so happy to be here. I'm way on the record. <laughs> you are way way off the record, girl. Way off the record. Um, so I don't even know your name. Like, do I just call you Dirty or, or how, is, how is that? Well, everybody calls me Dirty. It's my nickname now. It was kind of an accident. <laughs> I want my name name to be Dirty, but you have it. You have the, well, the dibs on that. Well, I wanted a nickname when I was a kid. In fact, I never wanted to be named what I was, which is Linda. I thought Linda's such a boring <laughs> name. I wanted to be something really exciting, like Jade. And Oh, uh, uh, me too, girl. So when I moved to New York and started being a dancer and nobody could spell my last name, I was like, well, i got to come up with something that's a little catchier that people will remember. And so I thought Martini would be a really good one because my name is shortened. Oh. And then my friend said, well... I love dirty martinis. Why don't you should be dirty martini? And at the time, I thought it was super ironic because <laughs> I was so I thought what I did was like so PG, you know. Yeah, yeah. But then everybody else thought it was dirty, so I thought, oh, it's the perfect name. Perfect. So uh, I thought I was just going to be martini. That all my friends would call me martini. I thought, how sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> and then Julie Atlas Muse, one of my best friends now. Who was uh, the first time she called me up? She picked up the phone and said, "Hi, is this dirty?" Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, I'm going to be dirty for the rest of my life." Like, well, I knew it right then. I, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to call you dirty. Like that's the greatest thing in the world. And so when I so when I saw you when I first saw you back in we're trying to figure out when this was with my ex boyfriend who went to Oberlin. They had an Oberlin, New York City mixer. You know, so all the people that went to Oberlin gather in New York City. It turns out there's a lot of them. Um, and it was this giant like loft warehouse somewhere in like the Flatiron district, I think. I don't know. Don't look at me. I don't remember. I know. <laughs> no, well, I that's, remember. That, I do. do you I remember? remember why I was there. Oh, that's so great. my friend, Juliette Muse, who I was just talking about, her boyfriend at the time, had, uh, well, she went to Oberlin and it was like some going away party for uh, who, somebody who was leaving Manhattan, whose name I should remember. Oh. And uh, she was like, oh, we're going to perform. Do you want to perform? And I was like, of course I'll perform with you, you know. Any chance, any chance I get to do this crazy new thing that I've been doing. <laughs> this was, this, for my recollection, but God knows, my romantic brain may be getting, you know, uh, intruding on my like realistic life brain um i think it was just you and i and i seem to remember there was a live band and it was just you like i don't remember any other but that you know what there could have been other people but you're the one that i remembered you know why because you did like the classic 
and again, this is what I remember. It could, I could be, you know, making this up in my head. You did, you came out in the balloons and you popped the balloons and then you did like the classic fan dance and, and like two or three other classic burlesque things. And it was just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I had, it, it was completely like, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, you know, it was like a private event. I don't even know. It probably was in the a program or whatever, but it just blew me away and I never forgot you. And so. Are you sure this wasn't at the lure? No, no. <laughs> No, I swear. Do you remember that place? I do. I do. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, a legendary leather night called Pork that I used to perform. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it was. No, it was. Um... I used to perform there. Oh, tell me <laughs> about that. they were the sweetest people. Yeah? I mean, when I first went there, some friends of friends said, we're doing a USO themed and we want somebody who's doing classic burlesque, which was really like me and two other people at the time. Right, right. You know, and so I walked in for the run-through, and they were like, well, we thought we could put you on this, and it was like a rack that they were going to throw some wood on top of. Like, you know, a rack where you tie something. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, like... <laughs> Not like a rack. Like, like medieval. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like a, a sort of iron bed thing. And I yeah. Was like, well, I don't know if you know, but I do point work, and so I think it might be a little not so sturdy for the point. So you know what they did? They made an entire stage just for me in like four hours. No way. And then when I showed up <laughs> for the gig, it looked more like a Vietnam prison camp than it did a USO-themed show. But, oh, shit. <laughs> but I loved it. They were so sweet and so fun. I miss that place, yeah. And, you know, that night was really special. It's like I've met most of my drag queen friends that I admired in boy drag there. Yeah. You know, you, having a good time. You mentioned something <laughs> earlier that, like, for my impression, you're one of the very first people that started the neo-burlesque movement. Like, that, you know, it came back from, probably never went away, but it came back kind of full force but like 20 years more than 20 years ago yeah it needed a little underground rest yeah yeah you know it never yeah. did go away in new york city and magnuson john sex it was just called something else oh i see and also you know penny arcade and right. karen finley and annie sprinkle were doing these like more sort of hardcore feminist um, like performance art oh you know, it just needed feminism needed that edge at that time because it was a difficult time for people yeah and yeah. especially women but mostly gay people because of aids crisis devastating everything yeah but um you know when it turned into the 90s mm -hmm. and there was a group of us that had this old retro kind of love for pinup and all that stuff yeah and we thought about femininity in a bit of a different way than Lydia Lunch had, you know, mm -hmm. because we had them to sort of bulldoze all the barriers down for us. Right, and right. And all the women in the workforce, too, like, if you think about 9 to 5 and, like, you know, all those women having to put on big shoulder pads and like, <laughs> yeah. go to work and pretend they're manly, you know, yeah, in order yeah. to, like, break those barriers. So if it weren't for those women, there would be no burlesque resurgence today. I, you know, I love that about, um, we're going to talk about the movie, uh, later, um, obscene beauty. So in my research, you know, I, 
in doing my research about you that I, I saw that that was one of the films that you're in. And they talk all about that very issue that there was, you know, you as burlesque performers had some kind of pushback from feminists and, you know, and saying like, that's not feminism if you're exploiting your sexuality and you're, from what I understood in the, in the doc was your take was, was that's exactly what we're doing. We're just doing it from a, from another angle than you are used to, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And it's so funny. It's like, you'll read into whatever you see, depending on your point of view. Right. Right. So, right. You know, one person seeing the hustlers movie will think what brazen hussies, you know, like how right. horrible are they? You know, right. Horrible people. And, another will find them as anti-heroes you know right. so it really all depends on where you're coming from so we talked a little bit about new burlesque um explain what that means exactly and also explain to us how you were influenced uh by classic burlesque performers did you did you know any of them did they take you under their wing so to speak and how did how did it change from the the classic burlesque to the new new burlesque well neo burlesque uh, was sort of a term that was coined by uh newspaper people it was oh. something that we gave ourselves we just considered ourselves I don't think even some of us called it burlesque at the time that we started. I did. I was really interested in history, particularly the dance moves uh-huh. and the dance history of these women that kind of never had their due, whereas Bob Hope or you know somebody else, like a lot of the men that came out of burlesque, the comedians uh-huh. and singers were allowed to have a career after Mary LaGuardia squashed it in the late 40s. Uh-huh. So... Because of Puritanism, you know, there w- it was really squashed. Right. But there were a few people that definitely, um, in the 60s, tried to keep it alive. And in the a underground. Lot of people, like the movie The Night They Raided Minsky's, you know, there were people that remembered the old burlesque in a kind of sweet way. Mm-hmm. But the difference with neo-burlesque is that we're coming to it with a sensibility that is more modern. So... Whereas, you know, back then, whatever they did in performance was really a reaction to what was going on around them socio-politically. Exactly, exactly. The same for us. So we already had, um, oh, what's her name? The feminist that was like a big rock star feminist in the 90s. Um, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting her name. Oh, Camille LaPaglia? Oh, thank you. <laughs> we already had her. We had, yeah. you know... So many um, groundbreaking ideas of feminism. So we could really start from a new perspective and kind of uh, use the old burlesque kind of repertory and kind mm-hmm. of make it say something more modern. Right. And so that's really where the neo comes in. But now, if you're like a real burlesque fan, you know that neo has come to mean more performance art or something oh, edgier okay. than the classic burlesque. Okay. So that's where that started to branch off. And now we even have titles like subgenres in burlesque, like nerdlesque. <laughs> <laughs> and boylesque. And boylesque, <laughs> which I don't particularly think is different from, you know, neo-burlesque. I just think we're all sort of together. In right. Side. But yeah, it's another right. label to put on it. And if you talk to a lot of burlesque performers that started when I did, 
they think that putting labels on things is just death, you know? Right, right. You just have to create and come from where you're coming from. And, you know, other people can call it something, but you have to just do your thing. Exactly. <laughs> so I know that you, you uh, are a trained dancer. So, uh, like, I'm assuming ballet and jazz. And I have a degree. You have a degree from Purchase, yes? Yes, I do. Awesome. I understand you're also an upstate New York character. I am an upstate New York character, and I have, I'm have. i just going to like interject this brief little thing in here. I, when I was um, like 19, I think, I was studying dance <laughs> way too late. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I, and I had some idea that I was going to go audition for the dance department at Purchase, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I had only been studying ballet for like six months or something at 19. Um, and it did not go well. They were lovely, <laughs> but that was, that was my, you know. Well, it's not so crazy. I mean, a lot of dancer friends of mine who are male, you know, really have gotten into dance late just for the obvious reasons. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't want to be labeled in school <laughs> I know. oh i know i had i had plenty of that going on because i was a theater major and you know did all that in high school and mm -hmm. college and stuff so um how does what one of the things that i've been in my research learning about you is that your your classical dance training actually informs your burlesque yeah 100%. so talk to me a little bit about that well, you know, I've always wanted to dance from when I was very, very young. My mother says I came out of the womb in an arabesque. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, much to their chagrin, I just kept with it. And I, I'm a very determined person. Yeah. Even though I didn't really have a body for classical ballet, I wanted to be a ballerina so badly oh. that nothing mattered. It was like... <laughs> everything is in my way and it it kind of is an amazing thing to not have the perfect body for something like that because i mean women never have the perfect body anyway right. which i understood later right but for me you know it was absolutely something that was my biggest obstacle to overcome because you know being so wide <laughs> and curvy yeah. even at my smallest you know it was uh it was really something to, like, no teacher wouldn't comment on it, you know? It's like, and then um. my own mind to see myself with all the girls that look like dancers and then me being, like, so outsized, which wasn't the reality, but that's what I saw. Right. You and know? this is in your teens? Like, mm -hmm. wow, that's yeah, not a good time to have to go through that. Oh, know? and then back, you know, back in the dressing room, the girls would be all talking about how they ate cotton balls and drank water so they wouldn't be hungry. And I thought... What an asshole am I that <laughs> I, I would never do that. <laughs> and oh, I thought God. I was weak because I wouldn't starve myself. Right, or right. Do all these ridiculous things like puking that, you know, women did and girls did. So fucked up. To try and, you know, attain this perfection. One of the things that I also love about you is that you are one of the forerunners. I hope that's the right word. On the forefront of body positivity mm -hmm. and curvy girls and like being cool with that, and I'm sure that like as you're talking about this, it couldn't have been easy. But it seems like you came out of it much more like happy and well adjusted. You know, if you had gone down the you know 
prima ballerina route where they the few that i know don't take care of themselves they starve themselves you know they a lot of them have are suffer from bulimia and things to you know to fit that ridiculous ideal which i think is changing Maybe not, you know, in in the Met or you know, classic ballet. The thing that's changing is the people drop out that have to maintain that way. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Like when you have it genetically, you stay in it because, you know, if you can handle the grueling things that it does to your body. Yeah. You know, you can't do that without eating. You can't, you know. So I think a lot of people that just don't have it naturally drop out because it, it's not maintainable, you know. Yeah. But somebody like I'm always amazed by Misty Copeland who oh, right? said that she didn't have a body. And it was hard <clears> to believe <throat> looking at her, she's so fabulous. I know. Uh, but you know, she had these problems when she was growing up. But to me the thing that was so amazing is that she hardly gets injured. Like, she's injured now. I, I understand. I follow her on social media. Oh, but, um, uh-huh. And I'm like, how do you get to her level and not be injured? It's like so... It's such an intense schedule, and it's so... Oh, I can imagine. It's grueling, and there are no stars in American ballet. I mean, she's like the biggest star and she still has to do all these roles and like... Right. Has all the... She's not treated special. <laughs> That's the thing that I find so crazy. Like... She's like LeBron James, you know, like <laughs> <I> know. Of, <laughs> of that world. She seems so, like, like normal and well-adjusted and cool and, you know, not that sort of stuck-up idea of what a prima ballerina, what I think of them as being. And she seems really, you know, she does, you know, concerts and um, pop things and Broadway things, and which is kind of refreshing because, you know... It, she's not just stuck in that one, like narrow uh, field. Um, yeah, she's a smart lady. That's yes, why. exactly. <laughs> so you 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 talk yeah. about <laughs> you, you, dance really did uh, have a big big part of the body positivity stuff. Mm. Just because I had to make the decision for myself to be happy. Yeah. In school, there was a certain point where they were going to kick me out because of my size oh man uh and they had it was sophomore year i guess they've gotten rid of this now but um sophomore year they had me convinced that they were going to bring me in and just fail me because they had this thing it's uh, academic probation in the dance department but it's was only because of my size not because of right not attending class or not doing well in class or any of that and so, thankfully, they got rid of that at purchase. But um, after you did, after you were there, <laughs> yeah, I definitely had a really hard time with the faculty there. Even though I did dance a lot and I did get into a lot of productions, mm. um, but my sophomore year, I said to myself, after all that sort of, well, are they going to kick me out or not? I had to say to myself, well, from now going forward, what do you think? You've been on a diet since you were nine years old, mm. and you're still being kicked out of school for your weight. <laughs> so obviously something's not happening here. Something's right. not right. <clears throat> right. So I stopped dieting, and I told the teachers to go screw themselves. Good. I stopped paying money to come here to this college. Right. And you keep telling me that I'm, you know, 
it to my face. You say I'm great and everything's going well, but that I should lose a few pounds. Mm. And it, but you know, I'm still dancing. I'm still doing good. All this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So something didn't really add up, and it was at that moment that I decided that um, this was something that a lot of women go through, not just my experience, mm-hmm. but you know, it's something that women get put under a lot of pressure and our biological bodies are not built the same way as men's are. Right. Right. You know, we can't we don't process foods the same way. We don't you know we don't function the same way physically. Yeah. So it became my sort of mission to kind of help women to adjust to their to loving themselves more. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean because you could have you know, you could have succumbed to to that, like lots of women do, and quit or, you know, gone in major depression or whatever, but you took it and you made it work for you and and, and you do classes and seminars with, with women, yes? Sure. Like uh, burlesque classes? <laughs> they become a little bit like, you know, you can do this, you got this, girl. Yeah. But really, they're, uh, I do, a, my burlesque classes are, for professionals who are interested in the classic movements of oh, okay. the past, or uh-huh. also there, um, I do classes on theatrical training because a lot of burlesque people come from the visual art world or they come from the dance world that doesn't have theatrical training. Mm-hmm. So I try to throw a little bit of everything in the pot yeah. for people who maybe haven't had the you know ability to study. A lot of people don't have the money to go to schools like that. And I'm really, really privileged to have had a family that was able to put me through school on a college level. I would love to be a fly on the wall in one of those classes. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. So one of the things that I've heard you say, I think, or read that you said, is there's a strong connection between drag and burlesque. Talk to me about that. Well, when I first started performing burlesque, there weren't really burlesque clubs. Well, there weren't. There was no burlesque scene. I knew a couple people that... When did you start? What, what year about? 1995. I started sort of researching it. Uh-huh. With this, I was in a theater company called Pink Ink, and we did like street theater at the time. I was in a group called the Fortunettes that were really like girl drag, but like outsized clowns, kind of <laughs> big foam wigs and um, awesome. padded out atomic bras and <laughs> big hips. And we went out on the street and we did kind of clowning, basically. <laughs> but lip syncing, too. So it was all sort of uh, based around drag. So I was yeah. basically a girl drag queen. Except yeah. that I was also going to nightclubs and seeing the real drag queens. Gerlina, who was my favorite. Oh. DJ Lena now. Uh, but oh. <laughs> she was my favorite because of the kind of performance she did, she was so physical and so live and beautiful and yeah. the connection she made to the audience was so profound, you know? Oh. And also Candace Kane, Shasta Cola, yeah. um, Lady Bunny. Lip Synca, love Lady Paul, Bunny. You know, that was the Lip Synca, yeah. I once wrote a wrote an Amtrak back from upstate 
and John Epperson was like right next to me in, in a different you know uh, row of seats uh, same row different aisle whatever and I think I was breaking up with somebody and I was really I was just not in a good way but I wanted so much to just acknowledge him and just you know say that it, you know I really appreciate your work and I didn't and I'm regret that to this day because he seemed kind of lonely too you know we're just both of us sitting there in our own little worlds on an Amtrak <laughs> going back to the city anyway that's my lip sync story <laughs> <laughs> um, well, brilliant anyway but yeah I mean yeah I mean exactly what lip sync is doing you know with a you know the Joan Crawford voice oh my god the way she with so smart things together and yeah. it's so funny and it referenced the past like i love because i yeah. used to watch old movies a lot when i was a kid and yeah and weird. nobody does what he does like yeah he's got his own genre um so anyway the the drag queens and the the clubs that drag queens performed at were the only places that really deeply understood what burlesque was mm. gay men understood intrinsically the history of burlesque mm -hmm. even if they maybe didn't read up on it or whatever i mean at that time i felt like those were kind of kindred spirits as far as yeah um you know presenting female yeah yeah and so i had to kind of learn how to be a woman from drag queens <laughs> interesting oh my gosh <laughs> and i did <laughs> that's so cool and they were my friends and you know some of the audiences uh, were like a little confused, I think. <laughs> sure. But that's okay. I that's mean, okay. You know, I really felt like they really understood what I was doing. And it was. Yeah. We have know, a way of. People came around eventually, obviously. <clears throat> Lesbians were the last to get it. <laughs> really? Oh, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> Even though I have a lot of really pretty <laughs> friends who are lesbians that do burlesque, but. <laughs> well, I'm happy to re represent the gay male as a culture. Crochet They're still right trying here. to wrap their minds around it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I can understand that. Um, talk to me about your recent appearance at Macy's. <laughs> Well, I have a friend who I've done some uh, local gigs with here, and uh, she got this opportunity to um, to present a burlesque show, PG audience burlesque show. So no, uh, this has been a really long time since I've not been asked to remove my bra specifically. <laughs> It used to be on the 90s, you know, nobody knew what burlesque was, so they were like, oh, please, no nudity, because we don't know what oh my kind God. of Pandora's box that might open. Oh, because that was like Giuliani and that whole <laughs> yeah. cabaret bullshit? Well, but everybody, I mean, the corporate culture, you know, has always been that way, a little yeah. bit more um, buttoned up, if, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So... But I thought, oh, back in those days, I was like, I would just wear a net bra, mm -hmm. and, you know, I could have my tassels on a net bra, and then everybody said, oh, she's still wearing something. Yeah. A net bra is a, a see-through bra, and it's something that women in the 1940s would wear to kind of get around the censors, you know, they could still wear a tassel and pasty oh. and show some flesh, but the police couldn't arrest them for nudity because they had everything covered. Oh, interesting. It was a nude illusion, so... Nude illusion. And there are a lot of those little tidbits about um, that are burlesque costuming because of police evasion. Oh. <laughs> uh. 
And so the net bra is one of those things. And I thought, oh, well, the net bra, I'll just wear that. And apparently when I took my bra, my first bra off to reveal the tassels, and I was twirling my tassels, <laughs> the woman who hired us was like, <laughs> but But so... I guess the illusion was really real. <laughs> <laughs> where, so where in Macy's was this, and was it... Like, just in the store? Yes, we were asked to... uh, They set up a little stage in the lingerie department. It was all around um, Valentine's Day. So to get women shoppers and men who love them to come and, you know, buy the lingerie. Uh Uh-huh. Which is very cute lingerie. Yeah. Which is very funny because after I had done it and posted the whole thing, Dita Von Teese told me in my comments that she had first approached Macy's about selling her lingerie line there and they refused because it was too sexy. So she was laughing <laughs> hysterically. That what the fuck does that mean? Oh my God. But she, she said specifically all the buyers were men and they called the lingerie department. This is a while ago. They called the lingerie department, the underwear department. So that gives you an idea of, you know, the evolution of um, kind of the thought now about, women's sexuality and how yeah. it's now from even whatever that was 10 years ago wow so it's kind of interesting to me to see that change macy's even though they're still freaked out um speaking <laughs> speaking of speaking of pasties i want to talk about pasties for a second so um in our in our emailing back and forth or texting back and forth um i I asked you too late and i should have thought about this sooner i was like can you bring an extra pair of pasties because i've never tried them i've always wanted to try them on (laughs) so there's that but we'll have to forego that for now um in uh oh i teach a whole tassel twirling (laughs) so i want to know how to do that we have to do that maybe part two that i because i Kind it's of, very aerobic. You have to be ready for the I can imagine. Exercise. So in the film Obscene Beauty, um, one of the clips of you uh, performing, one of your pasties falls off. And I swear to you, as I'm watching this, like the whole time I've been researching you, the one thing that was sticking in my craw, in my brain, was how do they stay on? <laughs> Honestly, with all the twirling and like it's really, like you said, aerobic and, and they're really moving. Is there like pasty glue or what what well, what do you yeah. use I mean, there's certain different ways to apply the pasty depending on how oily your skin is because yeah as you know certain things stick to your skin some things don't right and you want to make sure that whatever you're using is good for your skin as well especially if you're performing a lot uh-huh. so originally um amanda lapore taught me how to uh, no, apply a pasty <laughs> with eyelash glue because it's like a rubber substance oh that makes sense yeah so it and actually i used it for a very long time this method um because it was just so easy to get the glue off at the end of the night and it didn't hurt and it didn't hurt but now okay. i use wig tape like a, a man's oh okay and it's much easier to go on and okay if you have to do a pasty change it's easier to do it all at the time <laughs> So yeah, that's it. And sometimes if you are a little more oily than normal or it's a little hot outside, yeah. you'll have an accident. Uh-huh. <laughs> like what happened in the movie. It was it was adorable. And I one was of appalled. The, were you really? Yeah, they would show that. <laughs> but then I have to say, I was very uh, impressed by my reaction and how I dealt with it. I was too, because <laughs> you just sort of like went on and, and did the rest of the thing. Face. And exactly. <laughs> 
So one of the things, so I'm I'm going to see me and my boyfriend are going to see you next week at um, Barshland at Barshland Follies. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Now you mentioned that I could photograph you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. You mentioned that I could photograph you in the audience, but not backstage. So yeah. tell me about one of the things you talk about in Upscene Beauty is, and I so get this because I have a theater background as well, is that home, that concept of home backstage yeah. and how you're all, even though you're all sort of similar kind of acts and, and performers, you all support each other. And you can see this in the, in the film. Talk to me about that idea of home yeah, for sure. I mean, backstage is a really spiritual and special place, and everybody needs their different ways to get into their mind in order to kind of expose themselves in a way that's just not natural. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Being on the stage is something that not everyone can do, mm-hmm. um, and it does take a lot of energy. And you know that as a performer, you're all you're constantly putting out energy, yeah. and so. There's that moment backstage before you go, like right before you go on where everybody has their ritual. Mm -hmm. And then there's the moments where you're just kind of sitting around waiting for it all to happen. And everybody's got their own thing for that. So with a larger cast, it's more difficult to have um, cameras backstage, even though we do have somebody that's, there is actually somebody that's paid to be back there. Oh, cool. Getting in our business. Cool. (laughs) Which is good because I love kind of those backstage casual photographs. They really are. Yeah. um, They really do show a side of performance that's special. I think so. Um, But, you know, for particular venues, you know, you really need to pick and choose because some places are way too small to fit everybody in. Yeah. Like in uh, Bathtub Gym. uh, It's a really great show that I do um, in Chelsea. Okay. It's on 19th Street, and it's a little speakeasy that's Mm. behind Stone Street Coffee. Oh, right. It has great cocktails, and it's a really cute atmosphere. It's great to just go to get a cocktail. I think I've been there, but I don't think I've seen a show there. Uh, Tuesdays and Sundays. Tuesdays and Sundays. Okay. And. but we're changing in a toilet because it's not a show space. Oh. So, I mean, it's like we have the illusion of glamour. But honestly, yeah. we are four of us in a toilet together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which can be very beautiful, but where are you going to put the photographer? <laughs> well, listen, if you ever find yourself in a, in a space big enough and it's just like you and one, ideally just you or, you know, one or two other people I love... Like I do a lot of that kind of photography in my in my work anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I want to respect you know the sanctity of backstage because I get that you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just a little banana boats with uh, yeah. sand back there. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like inner crew, and then it's like there's all these people stomping through the backstage. It's it is it's very chaotic. So we've been having trouble with like keeping the backstage for the performers yeah you know it's it's one thing when it's like chaotic and fun and a party and i I love a green room and i love a party but when there's a dude you know i don't care if you're gay or straight but if you're staring at me because i'm changing and it's my dressing room Mm. and you're making me feel weird because i'm naked in my dressing room yeah (laughs) yeah the fuck out yeah no that's and there's a sense of entitlement there especially with suzanne because She's a party queen. 
Yeah. Most of our venues don't have changing rooms. They have green rooms. They have VIP rooms. Mm-hmm. So you come like Amanda Lepore completely dressed in your costume to a Suzanne Barsh party. Mm-hmm. But what we do takes a little bit more prep because things will fall off if you don't do them right before the show. Right. There's a lot of uh, costume pieces that are... Um, trick uh it's like they have trick clasps and things like that yeah. so you can't do that i was gonna ask you that anywhere too but the backstage so yeah and you know on top of that there's people that have their you know some people like to put on music chew their gum and talk shit about people backstage and some people like to sit with their music and you know mm-hmm. be zen about it and pray you mm-hmm. know <laughs> so it runs the gamut too fascinating um oh by the way in watching this movie because I, I didn't know about world famous bob but i think i need to meet her now oh she's wonderful oh she my doesn't God. live here anymore though. oh bummer. she lives in austin texas so if you go there you'll everyone's see moving out. to austin <laughs> Um, one of the things that I loved that I that I thought was really interesting in the movie Tigger loved Tigger says about burlesque everything about burlesque is political oh yeah sort of like what we've been talking about all along well it's so funny uh, you know some, I struggle because I do some performance art pieces like things that are more performance art and but right now because I've been performing with Dita so much I kind of have to pour my time and effort into making really beautiful classic burlesque pieces that might be good for her tour Mm. and there's a lot of venues also that are more into fancy costume right now so that works out in my favor as well and you're going on tour soon right with dita in march so cool europe for two months (gasps) no way oh man what cities uh, all over, all over the place. Oh, Name so... a city that we're not in. <laughs> I, that's I so challenge cool. you. But oh the best God. thing about the tour coming up is that we're performing at the Folie Bergère in Paris. Oh, no shit. Which is unheard of for a burlesque performer like myself or a dancer that... who came out of college and wanted to come to New York to be a contemporary dancer. To perform at the Folie Bergère, it's like I never would have thought in my entire is life. Is that at the Moulin Rouge? Like, uh, no, the Folie Berger is the other. There's the Lido, the Moulin Rouge, uh, Crazy Horse, and Folie Berger. <sighs> Folie Berger is the only one that doesn't have the uh, constant show going on. Oh, okay. It's just a venue now. But it's a beautiful Art Deco venue, and it's historic as all get out. I mean, oh. we were in the Casino de Paris last time we went to Paris. Ooh. So that's you know, pretty special, too. I need to live in Paris. I've decided. <laughs> I, have my, I have my Italian passport. Oh, good for you. For real. I got it like a year and a half ago. And so my boyfriend and I are like doing a bunch of city tours and saying, could we live here? Could we live here? Paris is kind of a no-brainer, except it's kind of expensive. But I don't know, girl. It's a place to go. I don't know if I'd live there, though. No. It's a beautiful place to enjoy. I feel like I could live. I spent a lot of time there. I don't think I could live in London. I love London, but I don't think I could live there. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, go live in Italy. I thought about Italy, but Italy is Italy is a mess. I can I can go anywhere in the Shenzhen area, Schengen area, in yeah. in but Europe. In the Schengen area. Yeah. yeah. Spain is cheaper. Italy is just a mess. I it love is. my people are Italian. It's a beautiful mess. <laughs> Me too. I'm Italian a, as well. Are you? I thought so. Paisano. It's a it's a beautiful mess, but. 
see, that's where I like. I love to visit, but I don't think I could live there. Well, which like, part of Italy is your family? Napoli. Oh, my favorite city in all of the world. I love Naples. I can't believe it. I'm from <laughs> ancient Etruscan people myself. Ooh. <laughs> I, you know, I was only I only went to Naples once, and I had the best time of my life. I met my grandmother's brother's family um, with my ex, the same one that when I saw you at, at the Oberlin thing. <clears throat> We didn't tell them that we were gay, you know, because we just didn't, we only had like a few days with them and it's not cool there. And they brought a family friend, they said, it was a family friend, to kind of hook me up with this woman. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Her name was Lucia, of course. <laughs> She's born in Naples. Get, check this out. She was born in Naples, but raised in Brooklyn for the bulk of her life. So she looked like a cross between um, Jennifer Tilly, like big bosom, like that kind of sort of vapid sounding voice, although she was smart as fuck, and Rosie Perez. <laughs> she, she was like, like a lot of fun. perfect amalgamation. She was so fucking cool, dude. Like she knew right away. That's why you ain't getting married. <laughs> No, but she knew, she knew, like, I'm sure that she saw me and Christopher together, and she knew immediately, and she was, like, my buddy for the net, for the rest of the night, so, we, you know, we, you know, it's like, kind of typical dinner, you go there, you have an aperitif, you have a, like a, a cognac or something, um, and then you have a million bottles of wine and, and then there's like a vodka thrown in there and then there's a digestif at the end and we're all you know it's the whole family is is out for this thing and it was like a dream of mine you know and they said it near the end like we want to take you to a classic neapolitan uh nightclub do you want to go uh, like, yeah yeah so but i'm thinking in the back of my mind like we've all probably each drank like a bottle and a half of wine and, you know, I was like, all right, I'm just going to, like, let it go and, and not get freaked out about it. So, as we're leaving, literally, my cousin and his wife, like, pull Christopher to their car. So, it's just me and Lucia. Like, it was so obvious. <laughs> not, at the, not at the moment. It wasn't obvious. And we talked, Lucia and I talked about this. And she's like, yeah, that's what's going on. Um, so, we get in the car, and we're both drunk. And, you know, you know the, the cliffy part by the Mergellina, mm -hmm. that's where we were driving through, oh, wow. like, canyon, scary shit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was being all cool, and I'm sitting there. And anyway, she read me the whole time on the way back. Like, she's like, this one here, sitting with his white knuckles, like, thinking I'm going to get in an accident. Well, she knew everything. <laughs> Most amazing. So where's your family from? Uh, I just found out that... Um my great-great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother, something like that, uh, is from Casori del Monte, which is in the Tuscany Oh, area. nice. Yeah. Nice. Have you done, like, uh, ancestry or one of those things? Uh, you know, some people in my family have, mm -hmm. and um, they sent me a... A photo recently of the town that we emigrated to oh. but that they emigrated to I should say which was in Utah they came to be minors because oh 
no work in America. It was the 1800s. Oh, wow. And, I mean, no work in um, Italy at the time. Mm -hmm. And so they thought they were going for a better life and ended up in basically like unheated railroad cars in the middle of Utah. <laughs> like coal mining? or They were, oh. uh, yeah, it was like a copper, I guess. Oh. Yeah, so the place was called Copper Town, so yeah. <laughs> but they were in a, a factory situation where... And all Italians, like everyone there was Italian. It was Interesting, very, um, I didn't segregated. know. I thought it was all Mormons in Utah. Yeah, isn't that funny? That sounded really well, racist. They were, uh, they were separated by class, for sure. And people, it wasn't like now you're like, oh, Italians, you know. <laughs> You have this whole yeah. history, and there's oh, yeah, yeah. Know, the sculpture and the everything. No, at that time, it was like, you don't speak English. You're low class. You have one pair of shoes. Yeah, we were... <laughs> you're separated you know, from the rest of my family America. Had the same had the same experience. It's like, um, you, you, you made it your business to assimilate as quickly as possible because we were like the black people. Mm -hmm. And then it was like Italians and Irish, not... We're not welcomed in this country, and it tells you a lot about entitlement and yeah, you know, what what's going on right now, especially with um, the kind of race relations that we're yeah. facing. Yeah, you know, and we need to face it yeah. know, as a country. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. That's the one good thing about Trump. You know, my boyfriend is Dominican, and during the lead-up to the election, he was the first person I knew to call it. He's like, he's going to be elected. Mm. And you should have been in the room when he said that. I oh, almost, I like, I evaporated. The same thing when someone said <clears throat> just eruptions. I know. It was, I, I was just, like, so stunned. But he's like, he's like, he was very clear about it. He said, white America needs this to happen in a way because now they're going to know what it's going to feel like to be a black person or a person of color and i was like what are you talking wow, about you said that before the election <clears throat> yeah interesting yeah well i mean I sure wish it could have been another way <laughs> i know i know <laughs> because people do need to wake up and smell the coffee myself included yeah and every day me too a learning experience for me and most of the people i know even though i consider myself extremely liberal yeah um yeah, I wish it could have happened in a more intelligent way. Than that. <laughs> Me you too. Know, it would have been nice to have a woman president because there's that barrier too. <laughs> Elizabeth, <Warren. clears throat> I am, I am so freaked out about this whole Bernie thing. I can't even tell you. Um, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> Politics is for another day. <laughs> I, for another day. I want to. I want to sort of uh, wrap this up. We're going to have a part two if if you're up for it after your tour. Um, Tell me, um, as a gay man, I think I'm one of the few gay men. I don't know. I loved that movie Burlesque. I did. I mean, I could have dealt without more, without less of the sort of love thing, love interest between <laughs> Christina Aguilera and that guy who's clearly gay. But I love the performances. What did you think of that movie? Is, is it one of those things like because you do this, you're like, oh my god. <laughs> well, it's I have a very funny relationship to the movie Burlesque because 
at the same time a burlesque was being filmed by the Pussycat Dolls and their people. Right. Which, you know, they were doing stuff at the same time as Dita and, you know, it's just a little more commercial, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was in France with a bunch of actual burlesque dancers mm -hmm. doing um, a film called Trené, which was a fiction film okay. about a group of burlesque dancers who we happened to be playing ourselves, which was pretty cool. I can't wait to see this. And uh, we tour all over France, and we won a bunch of awards at Cannes. Uh, best director, but uh, mostly we oh were at because of uh, Mathieu Almerique, because he is very renowned in France. Right. And because of him and his connections, he was able to get this film into competition at Cannes, and it did extremely well. Oh my gosh. Except it was the time of the volcano. <laughs> And also the French, uh, the English-speaking press, the England people notoriously hate French films. So oh. it did well critically, but the problem was that it didn't, that our critical success didn't make a good, viable opportunity for it to come to English-speaking countries. So like distribution So we did not wise. get a distribution that we really expected was going to come. And it was a big blow. And it had to do with the music rights, how expensive oh. the music rights were, uh -huh. and also the uh, kind of draw it could get. The movie industry is ridiculous. I can imagine. I mean, the things that can get made, I just... I give it up to anybody who can make it. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, it is the most difficult and confounding thing to get your film seen. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, we would have released in the art houses in the same exact time period that Christina Aguilera and her movie Burlesque oh. released in the big uh, major houses. Okay. The AMCs. And the is there anywhere for our audience to, to see Tournée? Uh, you could probably find it. My favorite way of seeing Tournée is just by buying it on oh, yeah. the London Amazon site. Oh, uh, I didn't know we could do that. You can find copies of it. And I'm actually the cover girl on the... Uh, no way. DVD. Oh my God. How did I not see this? Because <laughs> I've been doing so much research. I'm so I'm sorry. Sure there's a way you can find it streaming. I'm absolutely positive. I, I'd like but to... It was on YouTube for a while, but got taken down. And now I'm just not quite sure where that is. I maybe through IMDb you can find it. I haven't tried to look for okay. a while. So. I'm going to... But Amazon.co.uk, I was able to buy a copy and could play it on my old-fashioned DVD player. <laughs> Serious. I think that's a good place to end. What do you think about that, sure. Dirty? Thank you so much for doing this. It's been decades that I wanted to meet you and talk to you. And uh, good luck on the tour. And come back and visit us. Definitely. Soon. I yeah. will. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Way of the Record has been written, produced, and edited by Scott Ambrosino and Christian Hernandez. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to us on social media. We can be reached at the at sign WOTR pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.